Hello. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, look, let me say from the off, I'm sorry. I'm sorry there hasn't been an episode in a, in a, in a while. Listen, this podcast just spews forth new episodes all the time, so I'm not going to feel too bad about it, but I have probably kept you waiting longer than I than I like to, so I am sorry about that. I almost did an episode about a week ago, which was about the new Hives record and the new record by The Clientele. They're my two favourite records at the moment. I've been listening to them more or less religiously, as they say. Who says that? I don't know. It just feels like something that people say. But you also know that I've kind of been in this never-ending hellscape with this book I've been writing, but I, I might as well just say from the off, and I'm going to say this with more fire in my heart than I felt for a while because I am finally free. Yes, that's right, the book is finished. I've written 90,000 words, it's actually about 93,000 and something, so there's going to be a bit of cutting. I've also, I've sent it to the publisher now and I've put about 20 things that I'd like to put in there and maybe about five things I'd like to take out, so there's going to be a little bit of uh, to and fro in from this point on, so you uh, you won't be completely spared from me banging on about it, but God, I got there, I, and I've got to say, I've never ever experienced anything that was harder than writing this book, not just the act of writing a book, I mean, I, I've interviewed a lot of people who've written books on the podcast, and I read a lot of books, and I like books, and I have the utmost respect for people who write books, but not like now, like now I'm like, people who write books, they're superhuman, I mean, it was ridiculous, I, I mean, I, I find writing quite easy, right, and I say that, it sounds a bit arrogant, but there's not a lot of things I find easy, but writing I find easy, right, which is good, because I'm a writer, I find, you know, I sit down at the computer, and if I kind of know what I want to write about, and even if I don't, I can come up with some bullshit and write about it quite quickly to a fairly high degree of it being of interest, if you will allow me a second to be a little bit arrogant about that, but Jesus Christ, writing a book about my life with OCD from day one to the present day, and everything that that takes in. Ridiculous. Just an absolutely ridiculous endeavour. Which is, you know, it won't be out for a while, but this is me from the off basically guilting you into into buying the book. Because I need you to buy it. I've got no money. I'm skinned. I'm totally skinned. I've got to find a way to get some writing work ASAP because I've just written this book for the last 18 months. But I think it's good if you like misery but it's got some jokes in it as well and some good stories about hanging out with bands over the years but yeah please buy the book because I would hate to think that I'd done all of that for nothing it's such a weird experience people said to me when I said to them I was going to write this book they said to me you know it's going to be a real release it's going to be uh, what's the word that they use it's going to be cathartic and I never really bought that if I'm being honest cathartic why would we want catharsis in our lives? I have OCD. I have catharsis when I get out of bed in the morning. I have catharsis at lunchtime when I make my bagels and poached eggs. I have catharsis when I go to bed at night. I'm fine for catharsis, thanks. I just found the whole experience just completely draining, really. Just, just felt completely spent when it was done. But that was about 48 hours ago, and I've had more sleep in the last 48 hours than I've had for a couple of months, so... So anyway, I just thought it was about time that I jumped on the podcast feed and I said hello. And the other thing is, is that when I was thinking about doing this episode about the hives and about the clientele like, about a week ago, 
And I might come back to talking about those records because they're bellers. They're, they're two records that are at the top of the pile of records that I've enjoyed so far this year. And like every other year, this has been a great year for music. There's always music. There's always great music out there if you know where to look. But I, I sort of, I sort of wanted to talk about this Oliver Anthony song, Richmond North of Richmond. Been wanting to write. I've been, been wanting to talk about that for ages now. Do you know that song? It's by this guy, Oliver Anthony. He's this kind of blues grass kind of country singer from Virginia. He put this song, Richmond, North of Richmond, on the internet, and it, it went mental. So I'd be surprised if you haven't heard of it, but who knows? We all live in our, our little bubbles, our little silos now, so maybe it's completely passed you by, but maybe it hasn't, because after all, he put this song on YouTube, no one really knew who he was, and it's had got 30 million views now. It's probably even more at this point. When you see the guy, I mean, you know, if you're a fan of, like, Iron and Wine or The Handsome Family or even something like Hank Williams Jr., something like that, you, you kind of get the vibe of what I'm talking about. Kind of that blue-collar, kind of hillbilly, but not really hillbilly. I mean, he just looks like someone... He looks like the sort of person I used to hang out with at punk shows that I went to when I was a lot younger, like, you know, bushy beard, skinny jeans. He looks a bit hipster, if I'm being completely honest with you. And he made this video of him performing the song, and he's 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 on his farm. He's got his dogs by his feet, and you can probably say, "Oh, it's a bit styled, isn't it?" He's trying to, you know, it definitely nods at that idea of this is a song for the working man. But I heard this song. He played this song, and from the moment he sung it, from the moment the first line comes out of his mouth, I was like, "This is amazing!" Like chills, right? Like a proper shiver up my spine. And I started listening to the words and there's some stuff in there where he's basically talking about, well, he's alluding to, to the power base in the United States. He's, he's alluding to Washington, you know, north of Richmond. He, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about the government. He's talking about the military industrial complex. He's talking about the Pentagon. He's talking about lobbyists. He's talking about big pharma. He's talking about all of these kinds of things. Even if he's not being completely specific about talking about those things, but you know, the clues in the title. And it's basically this song, which you can read as like a plea for the working man. But I, I saw it as something slightly different to that, really. I saw it as a song that embodied the confusion that an awful lot of people on the right, on the middle, and on the left feel about the way that our world is going, the things in the world that we don't understand. And we feel like there is a very small percent of people who have all of the power and they also have all of the spoils. He's talked a little bit about this since, since the song's come out. He hasn't done any big major interview yet, but he's talked a little bit about people he met in his job and I believe he had an accident in his job. I think he was a factory worker, but now he wants to he wants to set up a farm on his land. Though who knows, maybe the fact that he's had 60 million plus views on YouTube will influence what he actually does do from this point on. But it was quite a beautiful moment when this song was like making noise on the internet. I was going on YouTube because I just wanted to hear the song over and over and over again. And I, there was all these reaction videos and they were from people who were being made by people of all races and all genders. And it just felt like there was this sentiment in the song that just really captured this confusion that people felt about the modern world. And I thought that was amazing. I was like, oh my God, we, there's so much division between us all. And this song, in, in that moment when that song came out, I felt connected to people. I, I felt like, okay, it's a sad song, it's a sad sentiment, that, that confusion, that kind of desperation that he's, he's expressing in the song about poverty and about frustration and confusion. I'm saying confusion an awful lot, but that's really what I got from the song. 
like at the heart of it, this is a guy who's singing a song about the confusion of the world that he's in. It doesn't make sense to him anymore. And that ties into these these little interviews he's done where he's been talking about mental health and he's been talking about people he knows in his community and like how how difficult it is for so many people. And that and if anything, if anything can unite us politically, philosophically, wherever we find ourselves, if anything can unite us, it's the fact that there's these bastards. There's this very small percentage of bastards who have all of the power and all of the control and increasingly all of the influence. They, they, they want influencers. They want to control us. And that sounds a little bit conspiratorial. There was a really good comment on one of the YouTube videos where someone said he was uh, QAnon country. And that kind of made me laugh, although I don't think that's actually very fair. I think that the throwing the idea of someone being a conspiracy theorist is something increasing than we do when we just want to shut people down. There's a long list of terms that we apply to people when we want to just shut them down because no one wants to be these things, right? But there's loads of things that we would have said was conspiratorial and now actually they're just matter of fact. You know, he does sound like someone who's listened to an awful lot of Joe Rogan podcasts or occasionally listens to Lex Fridman or what have you. But you know what? So do I, you know? Like, I listen to things from all over the political spectrum because ultimately I care about humans. I care about I care about humanity. I'm a humanist before I'm any particular political leaning. That's how I see the world. And I think it's how most people see the world. They might just call themselves a centrist, but most people are quite moderate in their views. They just want everyone to be able to get by and they want everyone to get as much out of their life as they possibly can do. You know, I, I probably see myself as a little bit more on the left than that, if I'm being honest. I've got some quite... Mm, I don't want to say radical, because the left's gone absolutely fucking bananas, but, you know, I, I, I think some things that are more on the left than in the centre but I really felt when I heard this song I was like this is something that really can bring people together it was it was amazing it was I genuinely had shivers up my spine I started listening to the song a few more times and then I picked up what he was singing about in the, in the middle verse and he's basically there's this he, he makes a bit of a misstep in my opinion he starts talking about obese people milking benefits and that's not a, that's not a great thing to be singing about, in my opinion. I think that if you are going to direct your ire to the rich men north of Richmond, to the elites, to the people who subjugate us, then you can't be turning things on other poor people. You can't be turning it onto a benefit system. I think he's made a real mistake there. However, he does sing that part of the song very evocatively, if I'm being honest. But I think that he's actually trying to make a bigger point than actually he's expressed in the way that he's done it. That was a clumsy collection of words. Let me try that again. <coughs> I think he was trying to make a point that was more nuanced than he's actually made in the way that he's done it. That was still a mess. Hang on, let me have another go at that. I think he was trying to make a point that was more nuanced than that. Nuanced? I think he was trying to make a point that was more nuanced than what has come across in the delivery of his words. You can say that it's maybe a bit of a culture wars talking point. I mean, I always think, right, here's my view on the culture wars. Here's my view on any of the ideas that are expressed on Twitter that people spend all day squabbling about. I think if you take that idea, any idea, literally any idea, I'm not going to be specific about them because that's not what this podcast is about. But any progressive idea, I think that if you take it and you take about five steps backwards, you basically arrive at the point where it makes sense and where it can actually do good for people. So there is some discussion right now about 
body size, about obesity, right? And I'm I'm a big guy. I haven't always been a big guy, but in recent years I've put on loads of weight. I put on loads of weight because I've been really unhappy. I just read a book about being really unhappy. Please buy it when it's on bookshelves. And during that time when I've been struggling with my weight, I have found that I don't think shaming people, I don't think calling people fat, does very much good in inspiring people to get weight off. And I think that most people who are overweight would like to get some weight off. I think it would be good for them. I think the whole thing gets more complicated when you talk about people with too much weight that's been taken off them. You know, really it's just about trying to make people comfortable with themselves. But like any progressive idea, it gets pushed to its extreme and it becomes this idea that you are healthy at any size. And that's just not true. I was so much healthier when I didn't have so much weight on me. I just don't want to be shamed for being fat because if I get shamed then I go inside myself and it's harder to actually get the weight off because I'm fighting my brain then, not just the fact that I've eaten loads of food because I haven't been very unhappy. Does this make sense? I think this makes sense. But this becomes this idea of you are healthy at any size and I think that that's actually what he's trying to say. Maybe I've got this completely wrong but I don't think he's actually looking at poor people and going, you're on benefits. You're, you're the problem. You're the problem with the current state of play in America. I don't think, I just don't think he's saying that. But him adding that verse to the song and also the fact that there was a lot of right wing commentators that jumped on board and promoted this song from the off. Some people thought that looked a little bit suspicious. AstroTurfing, I believe they call it. This idea of presenting something, and presenting something as organic. This kind of, that this song was a viral success that this had happened on its own when actually there were, they were puppet masters so to speak I don't know, maybe that'll come out and I'll feel really embarrassed for saying anything positive about this song at all, although it is a tune and I, you feel what you feel and at the end of the day I sometimes resent the fact that all of us have been dragged into thinking about things like this and there being this and having to think about things through the filter of a quote unquote culture war I just, I'm a music journalist, I just want to have fun and I just want to celebrate good music, I don't really want to care about any of this kind of stuff but here we are, this is this is where we are, so whatever. But because he'd been championed by these quote-unquote right-wing figures, and some of them are right-wing, I mean, unquestionably, it then comes down to the fact of whether you actually think people on the right are, uh, are wrong. And I, and I don't really see the world like that. I think that if you go further than the right, if you go to the far right, then those people can fuck off, right? Because I'm not having racists, and I'm not having bigots, and I'm not having people who make other people's lives more difficult. But I think there's good ideas all over the political spectrum. But again, I'm slightly going off topic. So what I'm trying to say is that he had these quote-unquote right-wing influences. And some of them are people whose views I don't really agree with at all. Let's say... Or at least I don't agree with all of their views. Which, again, there's people on the left that don't agree with all of their views. But let's say someone like Matt Walsh at The Daily Wire. I don't really agree with very much that The Daily Wire have to say. But Joe Rogan shared it. And look, you know... I sometimes think Joe Rogan makes some of the worst podcasts I've ever heard and he is unquestionably captured in a feedback loop of the same boring talking points and blah 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 but whatever I've been listening to Joe Rogan for years and sometimes I think his episodes are amazing speaking of which there was an episode recently with a guy called Python Cowboy that was amazing even though I think that dude should really rein it in on the iguana killing but it was a good episode and I'm not having Joe Rogan as right wing there are people on the left who've become far too free in just smearing people as something they're not when they want to shut down a conversation. But what really irritated me beyond that was that the coverage of the song 
rather than major on this idea of unity and this idea that a song that was critical of the 1% could bring us all together, they went straight in and played their role of division in the culture wars. They immediately, they didn't report on the song or where this had come from particularly. What they did do was comment on the fact that the right, that the conservatives had celebrated this song. Rolling Stone did this and it just appalled me. I was so angry. I need to not get angry about these kinds of things, you know, but this stuff really matters to me. Music, people, culture, really matters to me, and someone's got to get angry, right? And it made me mad that Rolling Stone would say that. Rolling Stone, a magazine that was founded in San Francisco in the 60s as a counterculture publication. Look, loads has happened since then. I don't expect Rolling Stone to be the same in 2023 to what it was in, I don't know, 1968, right? Like, it's a different magazine. It's owned by different people, blah, 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 blah. I love The Enemy, but The Enemy is not what it was 10 years ago. And 10 years ago, it wasn't what it was 10 years before that. And at that point, it wasn't what it was 10 years before that. And you get what I'm saying, right? I don't expect it to be this. I don't expect it to be frozen in time and be the same thing forever, but if you're a Rolling Stone, you have a fucking obligation to be Rolling Stone and not be siding with the 1%. And you can say, oh yeah, there's this verse, which I don't feel comfortable with that verse. And you can go, oh, you know, maybe this is actually, maybe this signposts more towards what he wants to say, what Oliver Anthony wants to say, but I don't like that either. We're not, we don't, we don't live in fucking minority report. We can't presume what people think. Besides, there's loads of songs that I love and I think they're powerful and they matter and they mean something and in many ways they've inspired actual change and the sentiment of some of those songs, they don't scan well at other points in history or they maybe have made sense in one verse and in another verse you don't agree with that. This idea, this, this fucking stupid idea that all art has to have one cohesive message and the political tribe that you belong to has to have everything that you think validated by a piece of art. It is fucking stupid. It is the most stupid thing that has ever happened in my lifetime. We are living in the most stupid moment in human history. I truly believe this. I don't think it's the worst point in human history. There's a bit in the book I've been writing where I've been writing about my dad when he was a kid. My dad had polio, right? Polio. Imagine having polio. 2023. Imagine, imagine a kid that grew up in Oldham like he did having fucking polio. These aren't terrible times to live in, but they are fucking stupid times. Speaking of which, and that wasn't a planned segue, but it's worked out quite nice. Me and my friend Dan, Dan Lamb, who is one of the funniest people I've ever met. She's been a friend of mine for years, but. Dana is amazing. She's so fucking funny. And me and her, we're doing a new podcast under the Spook banner. And it's going to be called Brainworms. And it's about how the internet is making us mental. And I made a little trailer. So should we stop this and you can listen to the trailer now? Someone told me that they believe that we are I did everything living right a simulation. I don't spend a tremendous amount of time on TikTok because, you know, besides the like young children dancing, there's also the spying on you, the data mishandling, the putting your information in the hands of the Chinese Communist Party. All aboard! Welcome to Brain Words. Because the internet is making us mental. People are posting pictures of when they're really happy. That motherfucker back there is not real! Brainworms. There are technologies at the South Pole Station that people can't even consider that exist on this planet. Can men get pregnant? Friday, September 8th. No longer can we enjoy any particular piece of media if its creators may have done or think something morally reprehensible. Brainworms. Brainworms. Because the internet is making us mental. I wish I had a good argument against that. 
So yeah, we're launching that on Friday, September 8th. It would mean loads to me if you would sign up to the feed so that there were, so that we know there are people who are listening when we make an episode. That will mean that we actually have to work uh, harder than just chatting about whatever's been going on in EastEnders around the time we record the episode. But it sounds quite good, right? I think it could be good. Could be a good podcast. But anyway, there was, Rolling Stone wrote this thing, you know, like I say, and it made it all about the tribe. And that made me really angry. And then The Guardian, The Guardian, The Guardian, which is supposed to be the voice of liberal Britain. That's really why The Guardian exists, right? The Guardian's the newspaper that I read. I still read it sometimes. I contribute to it sometimes. I wish I contributed more. I mean, I'd contribute to anyone right now because I need some fucking money. But, you know, I contribute to The Guardian from time to time. Right for the Observer more, they're basically the same newspaper, although they're completely different in many other ways. They share the same building. But the Guardian, again, who was supposed to be a voice for the voiceless, a voice for the people who don't get to share their voice very often. That's really what liberalism is, right? And the Guardian go even further than Rolling Stone did. The Guardian come out and they say that the song is full of baseless conspiracy theories, like the fact that at one point he references Epstein's Island. Hang on a second. Epstein's Island is a conspiracy? Mm, I don't... I'm, what? It's a conspiracy? I mean, it literally is a conspiracy, due to the fact that we know that there was this awful guy called Jeffrey Epstein and his cohort Ghislaine Maxwell, who is in prison and... Jeffrey Epstein isn't here anymore, and that all smells of shit, doesn't it? And I don't think you are a conspiracy theorist if you think that. The Guardian is saying that that Jeffrey Epstein and child trafficking is a conspiracy. Are you fucking high? I think things like Jeffrey Epstein are part of the reason why people have lost their fucking minds, and people are so confused about the world. Because you can read about this guy, or you you can watch videos or documentaries about this guy, and you can read that he did all these terrible things, but we don't have any fucking clue who he was doing them with. That guy's literally this photographs of that guy with presidents of the United States with members of the royal family and we don't fucking know who did what right that's not a fucking I mean that's that's the very nature of a conspiracy is the fact that no one's taken the fucking fall apart from the guy that mysteriously died when the cameras were off in a high security prison that's that's literally a conspiracy but it just made me mad the idea that the Guardian and the Rolling Stone who were supposed to be the voices of people who don't have a voice would side with the 1% who are being critiqued in that song, or they would go so macro in its, so myopic in its viewpoint of the song, that it would hone in on one verse, and not address that this is a guy who was singing with great beauty and a great deal of desperation about the situation that he and millions of other people find themselves in. And this is the fucking, this, this took the fucking biscuit. Billy Brack. If you grew up in a pit village in South Yorkshire, as I did, Armthorpe, Mark and Maine was our colliery, then you have affection for someone like Billy Bragg. His first four albums, there's some great songwriting on there. I actually like Billy Bragg when he's singing about romance as much as I do when he's singing about politics, but he's written these amazing protest songs. And if I can digress slightly, I was actually listening to the, the first volume of Mermaid Avenue the other day, the record he made with Wilco in the 90s, which is where they took a load of Woody Guthrie lyrics. They never had music set to them, and they set music to them. That's an amazing record. Why are we yonder in the minor key? That's a tune. That is a tune. But Billy Bragg comes out, right? And Billy Bragg has increasingly been a fucking fanny on Twitter. Like, Billy Bragg has seemingly completely lost the plot 
in actually seeing what's going on with a whole load of cultural issues. Billy Bragg's almost become this, he's just become so arrogant talking across people and smearing people for this, that and the other because they don't share the same opinions of him when actually I don't think he actually understands a lot of what he's talking about. Maybe Billy Bragg's just always been stupid, but I've met Billy Bragg, I've interviewed Billy Bragg. The lyrics to those songs are ingrained in my head and in my life forever. But maybe he was always stupid because I don't understand how someone at this point in their life closer to the end than the beginning so to speak can just suddenly be so stupid and Billy Bragg comes out and he writes a response he writes like a he writes a critique basically of Oliver Anthony's song in song and he makes a few points in there about you know you should join a union I mean who knows Oliver Anthony might be in a union there's a lot of presumption going on once again and then when you have that kind of degree of presumption about someone and what they believe and what their lives look like then I think that looks like arrogance and then there's this quote where he says that he heard the song and he just he heard the ghost of Woody Guthrie whispering in his ear and he thought oh you know I'll just I'll help this guy out I'll, I'll try and steer him on the right path are you a fucking moron Billy literally the arrogance of it that a rich man Billy Bragg is very rich Billy Bragg is a very successful musician that a rich man can say to a poor man look I know you're feeling this stuff but actually what you're feeling is wrong get the fuck out you fucking clown it made me insane. In any other era, in any era, until maybe like five years ago when we started seeing things through this really stupid tribal divide or we just started seeing everything through identity or we started seeing everything through privilege or all of these fucking, all these stupid ideas that again, have a little lick of sense to them if you walk about five paces back. But in any other era, if you saw the Oliver Anthony song, Richmond North of Richmond, go check it out on YouTube. Now, it's, it's, it's a beautiful song with a stupid and dubious second verse that I'm really irritated that he wrote because it means that this can't just be an out-and-out praise fest of this song that I've really enjoyed. In any other era, that song would be considered a left-wing anthem. And even if it isn't a left-wing anthem, what it is, is a song that embodies embodies something authentic that millions and millions and millions of people, including myself, who are confused and angry about the way that the world is going, it embodies what those people are feeling. And for Billy Bragg and The Guardian and Rolling Stone to dismiss that, they shouldn't call themselves liberal ever again, in my opinion. It's fucking disgraceful. It is disgraceful. Listen, I'm sorry that the first episode that I, I've given you on this feed in, in ages is just me basically getting really angry. And it's also three o'clock in the morning. And for some somehow, when I've been writing the book, I've sprained my arm. So I've actually, I'm a one-armed, very tired, but closer to being published author than not podcaster right now. So I should I should probably go get this edited and get it out on the feed. And, I, and there'll be some interview episodes soon, I promise. And I keep saying that, but I, I've got some that are lined up this week. And now the book's out of the way. The book's out of the way. Then I can concentrate on that stuff and I can get the podcast rolling a bit more like I'd like it to get. Listen, thank you for being with me. Go listen to Oliver Anthony's song. Let me know what you think. Let me know if I'm off base, right? But I don't think I'm off base and I don't really care, but I would like to know what you think. So let me know. You know you know all the places to get me. On the Reddit, James McMahon Pod. I'm on Twitter, at James Jam McMahon. I'm on Instagram, at James Jam McMahon. Subscribe to Brainworms. That would make me and Donna very happy. And listen, as always, if you wanted to leave me a rating and a review, that really helps this podcast grow. And that's a good thing for everyone, I think, apart from a couple of people at school that didn't really like me. But listen, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'll speak to you again soon.